Well, good morning. I want to say welcome to all of you who are here, those of you who are watching at Mill Creek, at our campus up north, those who are watching online, and that's growing, by the way, every week. We're thrilled if you're watching uh, by a computer or if you're here on our Cross Point campus here at Sugarloaf, where I'm preaching today. We're so glad to have you. We're one church in two locations. We have a campus about 20 minutes north of here. And especially those who are watching online, I'll tell you, there's nothing like being there, and I want to really encourage you to try to find the campus nearest to you. We would love to have you come check us out. You know, um, there's an old saying that's true, you learn a lot by listening. And that's why God gave you two ears and one mouth so you'd listen twice as much as you talk. And I have learned that uh, the less I talk and the more I listen, the more I learn. And you really can learn a lot about the community that you're in just by listening to people. And I was thinking about this the other day. Um, I've been in the ministry now for a good long time, been a pastor for a good long time. And I think probably more than ever in my ministry, people are coming up to me and talking about how concerned they are about the church. Not, not our church specifically, but just about the church and about Christianity and the state of the church. And, and it does seem as if the church and Christianity is under more attack in, in, in both around the world and here in our own country than it's ever been. Um, and, and it's kind of ironic. I mean, on our currency, we have in God we trust. So you'd kind of think that the church and Christianity would be kind of in you know, high favor with the people. And yet, I think we'd all have to agree there is an hostility out there that's just I, I've never seen in, in my lifetime. And, and I share the same concern about the church. And I share the same concern about Christianity and, and, and about the future of, of our faith but not for the same reason that most people share with me. Because when most people come up to me or are in conversation, talk about how concerned they are about the church and how, they're concer how concerned they are about Christianity, they'll mention things like the, the rise of militant Islam. Or they'll mention the, the increasing secularization of the culture. Or, or they'll mention the, the unbelievable uh, negative influence of, of, uh, of Hollywood. And, and uh, you know, and, and so th this is kind of where their concerns are. That's not why I'm concerned. Not only the, the those things, I mean, I'm concerned, but that's not what I believe is the biggest problem facing the church. As a matter of fact, I think those are the kind of things that give the church a greater opportunity to be who we ought to be and do what we ought to do. I want to share with you a quote by a great preacher. You've probably never heard of him. He's a great British preacher. His name was James Stewart. He said something that I believe absolutely nails down what is the greatest threat to Christianity and what is the greatest threat to the church. And I would say not just today, I would say in any age, but especially today, this is what he said. He said the greatest threat to Christianity is not atheism, materialism, or humanism. The greatest threat to Christianity is Christians trying to sneak into heaven incognito without ever sharing their faith, without ever living out the Christian life, without even becoming involved in the most significant work God is doing on planet Earth. Now, we've been in a series that we've called Follow the Leader. And in this series, we've been laying this foundation of what does it really mean to be a follower of Jesus? I mean, it's one thing to call yourself a follower of Jesus, and most of us who are in this room, or you're at Bill Creek, or you're watching online, most of us would probably call ourselves followers of Jesus, but it's one thing to call yourself one. It's another thing to actually be one. And so the theme of this entire series is real simple. I've said it over and over. Followers of Jesus make followers of Jesus. I want you to say that with me right now. You ready? 
Followers of Jesus make followers of Jesus. It's just that simple. And that's not what I said. That's what Jesus said. Well, if you've missed any of the prior messages, I would encourage you to go online and uh, you can see any of the messages we've been, we've been preaching. But in case you've kind of, this is your first time or maybe you've forgotten what I've said, let me just kind of give you a quick summary of what this series is all about, what we've been saying. Here's what we've been ta- saying. We've been saying that we need to value people and connect to people and serve people the way Jesus did. That's, that's the bottom line. That's what it means to follow the leader. If you follow the leader, you're going to value people, connect to people, and serve people the way Jesus did. So today, we're going to kind of conclude this little study we've been doing by saying that the reason why we want you to connect to people, and the reason why we want you to value people, and the reason why we want you to serve people is real simple. You ready? So that you can influence people. You've been put here to influence other people. And I've told you in this series, everybody's got influence. If you're a dad, you've got influence over your kids. If uh, you're uh, an employer, you've got, you got influence over your employees. If you're a teacher, you've got influence over your class. If you're a neighbor, you've got influence over your neighbors. Uh, everybody's got influence. And God has put us here to leverage what we have to influence other people. And there's no question that Jesus was by far and away, I don't think anybody would argue with this, the most influential person who ever lived. For example, Socrates taught for 40 years. Plato taught for 50 years. Aristotle taught for 40 years. Jesus taught three years. And yet who would dispute that Jesus had more influence, and his influence is far greater than the combined 130 years of some of the greatest philosophers and thinkers who ever lived. Jesus never painted a picture, but he's the subject of the finest paintings of the finest artists in history. He didn't write poetry, he didn't write books, but some of the greatest poets and authors in history were inspired to write about him. him. He didn't compose any music, he didn't write one song. And yet, from Beethoven to Bach, some of the greatest symphonies and musical works have been written about him. And just as Jesus used his influence to accomplish the greatest work in the history of the world, which is bringing people to God, he wants us involved in that same work. He said, as the Father has sent me, so am I sending you. I want you to do what I did. I came here to do the work of the Father, which is to bring people to him. I want you to do exactly the same thing. And in the greatest sermon that's ever been preached in the history of the world, he shares a simple secret on how to be a person of influence that would make an eternal difference in the lives of others. So let me just stop and ask a question. When you get to the end of your life, whenever that might be, and you know, we were reminded this week that terrible, terrible tragedy of those two reporters up in Virginia. Do you think that they, it even crossed their mind they would die that day? Do you think it ever crossed her mind when she was interviewing that person on that bridge that she was talking in the last seconds of her life? The bottom line is we don't know when our end's going to come. We don't know when we're going to leave this planet. And when we do, don't you want to be able to look at your life and say, I maximized what God gave me, my abilities, my power, my influence. I maximize my ability to influence others for an eternal difference and bring others to God. You say, yeah, absolutely. Let me tell you the simple little secret on how to do that. If you brought a copy of God's Word or an iPad or an iPhone or whatever, I want you to turn to the very first gospel. 
It's the very first book in the New Testament. There are actually four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. But Matthew is the very first Gospel, the very first book in the New Testament. I want you to turn to the fifth chapter of Matthew, Matthew chapter 5. Now, let me just stop to say this. I know that when I get up and say things like I've been saying already, there's some of you who already tuned me out. You've already turned me off. You've already said, you know what, you're, you're talking to the wrong guy. You're, brought, you're barking up the wrong tree. I could never be a person of influence. You don't even know what I do for a living. I didn't finish high school. I got a GED. I quit halfway through college. I, I don't make a lot of money. I don't live in a big house. I, I never, no, I'll never get my name in the paper unless I rob a bank, okay? So you're, you're really talking to the wrong person. I really don't have a lot of influence. I really can't do what you're asking me to do. Well, let me, before you say that, and before I read what Jesus said, I want to remind you where he was when he said these words, and I want to remind you who he was talking to. He wasn't in Athens speaking to brilliant philosophers. He, he wasn't in Rome talking to a cabal of military generals. He wasn't in Washington speaking to Congress. Where Jesus said what I'm about to tell you, he was on a hillside in a very rural country area known as Galilee. The people that he was talking to was about as low a class of people socioeconomically as you could have found back in that day. In other words, to, let me put this in perspective. For those of you who are old enough to remember, he basically was talking to a bunch of Beverly Hillbillies. Okay? If you don't remember them, he was talking to Duck Dynasty. Now, if that doesn't help you, let me put it this way. Probably the most sophisticated woman in that crowd was Honey Boo Boo. All right? So maybe that will help you. Now, this is who Jesus is talking to. He's not talking to PhDs. He's not talking to Harvard graduates. He's not talking to Fortune CEOs. Uh, he's not talking to anyone with a lot of money, a lot of fame, a lot of fortune. He's talking to ordinary country bumpkins. And I want you to listen to what he tells them. You are the salt of the earth and the light of the world. You are the salt of the earth and the light of the world. And thousands of people on that hillside looked up in amazement and said in unison, you talking to me? You, you're talking to me? You're telling me I am the salt of the earth? You're telling me I am the light of the world? Let me tell you the good news. Not only was he talking to them, but because they took him seriously is why we're in this church right now. Because they said, you know what? We believe you. We believe we are the salt of the earth, and we believe we are the light of the world, and we're going to go out and shake the salt, and we're going to go out and shine the light. And because those people did what Jesus told them they could do, and he was what he told him that they were, we are right now here, and Christianity is on every continent of the world because they did what Jesus told them they could do, and they were who Jesus told them that they were. So here's where we're going with all this this morning. Jesus Christ changed this world. Nobody can argue that. He absolutely changed this world. Nobody Jesus ever touched was ever the same. And here's what I want to tell you. If we will follow our leader, we can change our world. If we will follow the leader, we can touch people in such a way they will never, ever be the same again, and we can touch them for all eternity. So here's what I want you to take out the door this morning. Listen, we can make this world better and brighter if we follow the leader. We can make this world better and brighter 
if we follow the leader. And here's what Jesus does. He tells us two simple things to do every day, and we can do it every day, two, two simple things that will help us be a person of influence. Let me just stop and just say one other thing. Do you understand that there are people that you can reach for, reach for Jesus I'll never be able to reach? Do you know there are people right now that will listen to you share the gospel? They're not going to listen to me. They don't know me. Some of them don't even trust me because clergy's not held in the highest esteem they used to be, right? All these scandals have gone on. And, you know, I mean, sometimes we're right above, you know, prostitutes. I mean, some surveys. I mean, people don't trust us. They trust you. They know you. You built trust. So there are people that you can reach I'll never reach. There are people that will hear you that I will never hear. You can be a person of influence. And Jesus said, here's how you do it. You ready? Number one. Show a godly life to others. Just show a godly life to others. Now, Jesus begins with this incredible statement. He says, you are the salt of the earth. Now, question. Jesus could have chosen any compound, any chemical compound he wanted to, but he chooses salt. He says, you are the salt of the earth. Why does Jesus refer to his followers as salt? Now, let me tell you, this is kind of, a, kind of a cool thing. I don't know if you've ever thought about this or not. You know, salt is a miracle. I'm not making this up. Salt is a miracle. You say, why? Well, chemically, it's composed of two things. You learned this in school if you took chemistry. It is sodium and it's hydrochloride. We, salt, we shorten that, sodium and chloride, but it's actually sodium and hydrochloride. And let me tell you why that's a miracle. If you take sodium by itself in large quantities... What can it do? Shut your kidneys down, right? You take sodium in large quantities, it can absolutely shut your kidneys down and kill you. If you take a little hydrochloric acid, just a little small amount, and you pour it on your hand, you won't have a hand. Your hand will be gone. It will totally eat your hand away. If you were to drink this much hydrochloric acid, you wouldn't live to tell about it. I mean, it would absolutely kill you. But when you add sodium to hydrochloride, you have salt which is one of the most usable substances on the planet. Now, here's what I want you to understand. When Jesus said, you are the salt of the earth, it doesn't mean a lot to us. But had you been sitting there 2,000 years ago with a bunch of country bumpkins, mouths flew open everywhere, eyes got wide. Salt, you're calling me the salt of the earth? Because salt was extremely valuable in Jesus' day. Let me tell you why. Salt was the only preservative that they had. They didn't have refrigeration. They didn't have ice. They didn't have a way to preserve food. And the only way to preserve food was by salt. As a matter of fact, salt was so valuable, you could trade it ounce for ounce for gold. In fact, there were certain situations where you'd rather have salt than to have gold. Because you know what? Gold can't keep food fresh. Gold can't make sure you've got something to eat when you need it. So there were times that salt, people would rather have salt than have gold. Roman soldiers were often paid in salt. In fact, this is kind of interesting. Uh, you know, the word salary, you may not know where the word salary comes from. The word salary comes from the Latin word salarium, which comes from the root word sal or salt. That's where we get the expression, he's not worth his what? Salt. Where do we get that expression? Because if you didn't do a good day's work, you didn't get your salt. You didn't get your salary. So it was so valuable, people were paid in it. If you lived in Galilee, you really appreciated salt. Because anybody, anybody want to kind of guess what the major industry in Galilee was? Somebody tell me. It's fishing, right? That was the number one industry. It was fishing. Well, fishermen understood the value of salt because it's not only a preservative, it is a preventative. It, pre it prevents decay and, 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 and corruption. So whenever those fishermen go out and they would catch those fish, 
They had to keep them fresh to get them to market. Sometimes they'd have to go all the way to Jerusalem to sell those fish. How did they keep it fresh? They packed that fish in salt. Otherwise, the fish would become rot and it would become useless. So when Jesus said, you are the salt of the earth, they were going, I'm that valuable? I, I'm that important? I can do that much good? And what Jesus was saying was real simple. Listen, he said, one of the ways you can become a person of influence is real simple. Just allow your life every day to be sprinkled like salt. That's it. Just, just allow your life every day to be sprinkled like salt. Now, you know what salt tastes like, right? You say, well, yeah, it's, it's salty. You know why you said that? Think about it. There's really not another word to describe how salt tastes, right? If somebody says, how does salt taste? It's kind of salty. Well, can you help me? Well, you know what pepper tastes like? Yeah, well, it's not pepper. I mean, it's just kind of hard, you know, to, to get that down. There's not another, another word. Cause there, and why is that? Because there's nothing quite like salt. Here, let me give you an example. You go to a restaurant, sit down and order a meal. Nobody has to tell you if the food has not been salted enough, right? And nobody has to tell you if they put too much salt in the food, right? You just know that. You don't know that about any other ingredient they made. You don't know if they put too much butter or too much this or too much that. But if they put too much salt, you'll know it. If they didn't put enough salt, you'll know it. There's just something about salt that has that quality. And what Jesus is saying is when you are around other people, if you're letting God live his life through you, they will literally taste the difference in your life. They, they will be able to taste the godly difference in your life. Because listen to what he said again. By the way, this is so big. Now, this is important. This is where a lot of us miss it. Jesus said, you are the salt of the what? Earth. He didn't say you're the salt of the church. You, you get that. You're, you're not the salt of the church. You say, well, what do you mean? Well, the purpose of salt is to get into food. And the purpose of salt is to get onto food. I mean, if you took, you could take the best table salt in the world. Let's, let's take the best table salt ever made in the human, in the history of the world. If you take the best table salt in the world and you put it that far away from your food, what good does it do? It doesn't do any. Salt is worthless unless you put it onto food and you put it into food. And here's the point. We're not to be the salt of the earth in here. We're to be the salt of the earth out there. Too many of you leave your salt on the shelf when you walk out the door. See, the church is the salt shaker. We are the salt. And here's what I want you to understand. Don't walk out of here today. Be poured out of here today. Get out there and shake the salt of a godly life on others. Be poured out in your neighborhoods and in your businesses and in your offices and in your schools and in your athletic teams and let people taste the difference that Jesus makes in our life. Because if you keep it here, it does no good. There was a lady that, um, she walked into this little mom and pop grocery store and she said to the, to the proprietor, she said, uh, do you sell salt? He said, do we sell salt? He took this lady over to an entire wall and there was shelf after shelf after shelf. It was stacked with nothing but salt. I mean, they had Morton salt, iodized salt, kosher salt, sea salt, rock salt, garlic salt, seasoning salt, Epsom salt. They had every kind of salt you could imagine. The lady was amazed. He said, ma'am, you think that's something? He said, follow me. 
He led her back to a back room. It was filled with shelves and bins and cartons and barrels and boxes of salt. The lady said, that's unreal. She, he said, you haven't seen anything yet. He leads her down to some, to, into a huge basement, about five times as large as the room that she was in. Wall to wall, floor to ceiling, every imaginable form and size and shape of salt you could imagine. Then he looked at him and she said, man, you really do sell salt. He said, well, no. He said, actually, we don't. That, that's the problem. We don't hardly sell any salt. But boy, that salt salesman that comes by every week, boy, does he sell salt. Now, salt that stays on the shelf doesn't do anybody any good. And what we need to do and what the church needs to do, we need to get out of our churches and we need to get out of our houses. We need to get out of our holy huddles. We need to get out of the godly people that we hang around with all the time and begin to show a godly life to our next door neighbors, to the people that work under us, the people that work above us, to our classmates, our teammates, our relatives, and to our friends. Jesus said, you got to get the salt out of the salt shaker or it doesn't do any good. But then Jesus goes on to give this warning. It's interesting. He says this in verse 13. But if the salt loses its saltiness, now let me stop right there. I know you don't have a clue what he means. I'm going to show you in a minute. If the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. Now, what in the world did Jesus mean by that? Well, again, you're at a disadvantage because you're 2,000 years later. Had you been sitting on that hillside, where, by the way, I've been many times, beautiful hillside. Had you been on that, been on that hillside, you've understood exactly what Jesus was talking about. People got much of their salt from the Dead Sea. Because if you've ever been there, there's this great concentration of salt there. And you, you may probably know how that works. Because once the water flows into the Dead Sea, there's no place for it to go. And so the, 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 the salt begins to build up. Well, the problem is the sun begins to evaporate the water. And as the water evaporates, it leaves behind this chunky white powder. And it's made up of, of a combination of salt and, and, and minerals. Now, there's enough salt in that to preserve meat. But there's also enough minerals in it to dilute the salty flavor, flavor and it makes it basically bitter. It basically, basically, uh, makes it basically tasteless. In other words, it's worth You can't put it on food because it would ruin the food. It, it loses its saltiness. Well, you know the only thing that that salt was good for? You know how they used that salt? They put it on the roads to, to hold down the dust. And, and, and it became something that people just walked over. I want you to listen to what, what Jesus is telling us. When Christianity begins to lose its flavor, and when the church begins to lose its attractiveness, and when the world begins to ignore us, mock us, make fun of us, Far from even thinking about coming into us and being with us, they walk all over us. When that happens, it is because the people in the church are living like everybody else. There's just no difference in how we live and how everybody else lives. If the culture says it's right, it must be right. If the culture approves of this, then we'll go along. 
if the culture says it's okay, it doesn't matter what God's word says, doesn't matter what truth is, we're just kind of going to, you know, we're going to go along to get along. So I'm going to make, I'm gonna, let me just put it to you this way. Followers of Jesus will never make followers of Jesus until we look a lot more like Jesus. Followers of Jesus will never make followers of Jesus until we look a lot more like Jesus. Now, there's a way to stand for Jesus that's godly and sweet and kind. And I want to make this very plain. I'm not, I, I, I don't believe we ought to be arrogant flamethrowers or anything like that. But I, I, I'm just telling you. One of these days we're going to stand before God, every one of us in this room, you're going to give an account for your life. And I know we all know that. And you've heard that many times. But I don't think we think through what we're going to give an account for. So let me just kind of, this is kind of off script, but let me just kind of, while I'm in the neighborhood, do this. One of these days, I'm going to stand before God. I'm going to give an account for every word I said behind that, that desk right there. Every single word. Everything I said up here, I will give an account to God for. So I've kind of made up my mind. I'd rather stand before God and have God say to me, James, you just preach the Bible too much. Than to stand up here and have God say to me, James, you just preach the Bible too little. I've just decided if I'm going to err one way or the other, I'm going to go too much than too little. Every one of us is going to stand before God and give an account as to how we handled this truth, how we believe this truth, and how we live this truth. All is going to have to do that. So just to give you one minor example, I'm not here picking on anybody. I'm not here trying to make a political point. I'm not running for anything. I'm just kind of giving this just so you'll know. I couldn't care less what the culture says, what the Congress says, what the president says, or what the Supreme Court says about marriage. I couldn't care less. I know what God says about marriage. And I'm going to stand up here and tell you what God says about marriage. That's, that's my responsibility. That's my job. Now, what you do with it is between you and the Lord. What you do with it, that's strictly up to you. I'm just simply saying you're going to give an account for how you handled that truth. And if we continue down this road of kind of living like everybody else is living, going along to get along, the salt will lose its saltiness, and we're not going to have any influence whatsoever. See, here's what bothers me today. I'm not bothered about people being hostile toward the church. I'm not bothered about people being critical about the church. I'm not even bothered about people who make fun of the church. I'm bothered now because increasingly we're just being ignored. People just don't care about what we think or believe anymore. And it's because we are losing our saltiness. So Jesus said, one of the things you need to do every, every day, show a godly life to others. Be the salt of the earth. Because people know when food is salted and they know when it's not. And people ought to know by the way we live whether or not we are followers of Jesus or not. That's the first step that we need to take. Here's the second step. We need to shine a godly light to others. We need to shine a godly light to them. Now, the second thing Jesus says is this. He says, you are the light of the world. Now, that's pretty obvious. I don't have to explain that very much. But it's obvious why Jesus calls us light. Because what's, light only has one purpose. Light's supposed to get rid of one thing. Somebody tell me, what is that? Darkness. That's the only purpose light's got. Light's purpose is to get rid of darkness. Light dispels darkness. It attracts attention. I mean, and listen, it, doesn't take a, it really doesn't take a genius to figure this out, folks. We're living in a dark, dark world. I mean dark. Terrorism. Racial unrest. Economic uncertainty. 
The, the list goes on and on and on. You say, boy, things are really bad, aren't they? Well, it all depends how you look at it. I mean, I don't see the salt, I don't see the glass half empty. I see the glass half full. So what do you mean? Well, Islam, militant Islam is a problem. And there is a lot of economic uncertainty. And there's a lot of racial unrest. And there's a lot of, you know, a lot of people are concerned and, and, and worried. There's a lot of tension. You say, why, why, why would you be so upbeat? Because God's put us here in this time. And God's put us here in this place. And God has said to the church today, I have brought you to the kingdom for such a time as this. And that's why Jesus went on to say in verse 14, he said, a town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Now, you know what the word there for built, you know what the word there is in the, in the literal Greek language? It's not just built. That word literally means to be placed or to be planted. So let me give you a little simple illustration. How many of you chose to be born in America? If you were born in America, how many of you chose to be born in America? Nobody. How many of you chose to be born to the family you were born into? Nobody. Now, you, you didn't choose any of that. All right, let me ask you this then. So you, you were put here some way, somehow you were put here. You didn't plan to be here. You were put here. You say, yeah, that's right. Okay. Then do you think it's just a coincidence that you work where you work? Do you think it's just the luck of the draw that you live in the neighborhood you live in? Do you think it just happens that you go to that particular school or you play on that particular team? No. We were put where we're put and we are where we are to be a shining city on a hill. We were put in the particular areas of darkness that we all are in to be a light that would shine. See, here, here's what Jesus meant. In the first century, they didn't have bulldozers like we had. So, 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 so for example, uh, when a city would be invaded and a city would be destroyed, well, they didn't have bulldozers just to clear out all that debris and all of, the, all of the broken buildings and all that, and they'd build a city. What they did was they just started building on top of what was already there, so they would build one layer over another one. So if a city was invaded and burned down and destroyed, they'd just take all the rubble that was there, they would use it as a foundation, and they would build the next city on the foundation that was previously destroyed. That's why in that day, most cities were built on hills. Those hills were the destroyed cities that had been there before them. So whether in the daytime with the sunlight shining off the white limestone of those houses or in the nighttime when all those houses were lit by candles, you could see lights from everywhere. You, you knew when you were approaching a city, you didn't have to ask anybody if you were approaching a city because that city would be elevated. It would be up on a hill. And it, if, if it was daytime, those buildings were built with a lot, a lot of, uh, many times with white limestone so the sun would reflect off the light. Or at night, you'd have candles and torches and the light would be very, very visible. That's why Jesus goes on to say this. He said, neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. Now, we all have lighting in our houses, right? Because we don't like to sit in the dark or stay in the dark. And what Jesus is saying is this. So when you get up in the morning, and you get in your car, and you go to work, you're going into a very dark office. When you get up in the morning, and you catch the school bus, and you go to school, you're going into a very dark school. 
When you drive home from work and you drive through and you're going to your house, you're driving into a dark neighborhood. And it's not so. God did not put us in these dark places so we could just kind of go and just kind of sit in the dark with everybody else. God has put us in these neighborhoods and in these offices and in these schools to be his light, to get rid of the dark, to say to the people that we're around, you don't have to sit in darkness anymore. You don't have to stay in darkness anymore. You don't have to live in darkness anymore. And you say, well, well how, how do you shine your light? There are so many ways you can shine your light. For example, just being kind and respectful to everyone that you work with or, or by inviting people to a meal and begin to build a friendship. By listening to hurts and heartaches and letting people know that you're there for them and praying for them. By inviting them here to join a, a, a small group or, or inviting them to join your small group or invite them to church. Or as the door opens, to share your testimony. To, to say to a waitress, I was in a restaurant the other day. I was having lunch with one of our members and, 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 I, and I said to this waitress, I said, uh, listen, we're about to pray for our food. How can I pray for you? You hear the most incredible stories when you ask that question. And by the way, I've never had anybody get offended when I ask that question. Now I have people say, well, you don't really need to pray for me, or I'm doing good, or whatever. And, and, and when they say that, I just say to them, I say, boy, you really need prayer, okay? But, 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 but I've never had anybody get offended. So I said to this lady, I said, how can I pray for you? I mean, just like that, she stopped. Tears up. She says, well, um, I, I'm in recovery. I said, Really? So tell me about it. She said, yeah, I've been 60 days I've been in recovery. I thought she was maybe an alcoholic or a drug addict or something like that. And I said, uh, well, how are you doing? She said, well, I battled depression. She says, I I've been suicidal. So I've been trying to get help. And um, for 60 days, I've, I've been making it. And I said, uh, you know, I said, I, I went through a period of depression one time. You don't even know this. I told her about a time I went through about a three-month period of depression. I was pastoring in Mississippi, and maybe that's why I was depressed. I don't know. But um, I went through this period of depression. And, and, I, and be honest, to this day, John, I couldn't tell you why I was depressed. If you put a gun to my head, I don't know why. I woke up one morning. I'm an early riser. I mean, I get up and get after it. You probably can tell that. I mean, you know, I get, it's 11 o'clock. I feel like I've lost the day. I usually get up about 6, 6.15. And, and, and so um, I, I didn't get up. It was Monday morning. Felicia came in. She said, are you sick? I said, no. So what's the matter? I said, I don't know. What's wrong? I don't know. Well, why don't you get up? I, I don't want to get up. Why don't you want to get up? I'm depressed. Why are you depressed? I don't know. I didn't know. I, to this day, I don't know. I just kind of battled through it, and God brought me through it. But my point is, I said, I said, man, I've been there. I know. I said, you know, Winston Churchill battled depression. Called it the Black Dog. And I said, I, I've been where you are. And I said, we, we we've got people in our church. They battle it too. And and she said, well, I'll tell you what I'm looking for. I'm looking for peace of mind. Took out my little sure card. I said. It is not a, wait, let me back up. I gave her a little sure card and I said, this little message will give you the peace of mind you're looking for. It gave me a peace of mind. It gave my dad, who was a borderline alcoholic himself, it gave my dad peace of mind. And I gave it to her. We go to leave. Gave her, she paid the bill. We go to leave. Just as I started to get up, she came running over me. She had tears coming down her cheeks. She said, you know what? It is not a coincidence that you sat in my area and it's not a coincidence I waited on you. I said, no, ma'am, it's not. She said, I cannot tell you how thankful I am to know that you prayed for me. And I said, look, I'm going to continue to pray for you. You got my cards. You got my information. You know, what, any way I can, I can help you, I want to help you now. So what am I doing? What am I doing? 
I'm just shaking out salt, shining light. That's it. Not, nothing big, nothing hard. I'm just shaking out the salt, and I'm just shining the light. And remember, the light that Jesus is talking about is him. He is the true light of the world. See, all you, all he wants you to do, this is it. Just let him shine his light through you. You don't have to think, well, I've got to look a certain way, or, or I've got to have a certain degree, or I've got to know a certain number of Bible verses, or I, I've got to have a certain position uh, to let my light shine. I mean, let me show you how, how crazy that thinking is, okay? What's the most important light in your house? I bet you've never thought about this, okay? What is the most important light in your house? French light? Yeah. Big money man over there, right? Okay. I'm going to check your giving record. All right, now listen. Think about this. Now think about this. What's the most important light in your house? Think. Is it the chandelier in your foyer? Or is it the night light that keeps you from breaking your neck when you go to the bathroom in the middle of the night? Huh? Kind of puts it in perspective, doesn't it? See, we think, man, I can't shine. I'm not a chandelier. God says, I don't need chandeliers. I just need night lights. I don't need big lights. I just need small lights. I just need light, and it doesn't take a lot of light to dispel the darkness. It's not how beautiful you are. It's not how brilliant you are that matters to God. All that matters to God is when you get up every day, are you willing to open your heart and open your life and open your mouth and let him shine his light through you? That's, give the Lord, that's all that matters. Jesus said, look, Jesus says, look, I'm the light. I'll do the shining. Just take the cover off. I'm the salt. I'll get into the food. Just take the top off of the shaker. So Jesus concludes by saying this in verse 16. In the same way, let your light shine before others, that they may see your good deeds. Now watch this. This is big right here. And glorify your Father in heaven. Now watch this. Jesus closes by telling us, and I'm so glad he told it. Because if you've been tracking with me on this message, you probably have thought about a question right now, and it's a great question. Well, so how do I know if I'm salt? How do I know if I'm light? How do I know if the salt is getting out of me? How do I know if the light is shining through me? How do I really know if I'm shaking the salt? And how do I really know if I'm shining the light? All right, here's the test. Now watch this. If others see your life and others see the way you live, they see how you try to steer conversation. They see how you try to use your influence. They see how you react and respond to certain situations, especially negative situations. You'll know that you're shaking your salt, and you'll know you're shining your light when they don't say what a great guy or what a great gal you are. They say, what a great God you know. What a great God you serve. You mean God can lead you to do that? What could God do for me, there was a little boy that went up to his daddy one time. He said, Daddy, he said, how tall am I? He said, uh, I don't know, son, I guess about four feet. He said, well, Daddy, how tall is Jesus? 
He said, well, my son, I don't know. He said, I'm, you know, back in the day, men were that tall. He said, I'm maybe five and a half feet tall. He said, so, Daddy, I'm four feet tall, and Jesus is five and a half feet tall. Is that right? And he said, well, yeah, so what? He said, well, Dad, if I'm four feet tall, and Jesus is five and a half feet tall, if Jesus is in me, then he'll stick out, won't he? Great theology. God deserves a Ph.D. He's right. Jesus will stick out of you. He will shake out of you like salt. He will shine out of you like light. So let me just close with this. If you are a follower of Jesus, there's one reason. I promise you it's true. The reason why you're a follower of Jesus today is because somebody was salt to you. The reason you're a follower of Jesus today is because somebody was light to you. My mom, my dear departed mother, who I love and still miss to this minute, she was my salt. She was my light. I'm here today because my mom poured her salt onto me. And my mom shined her light into me. And Jesus is saying, don't keep your salt in the salt shaker. Don't hide your light under a bushel. Through Jesus Christ, we can be people of influence. And we can make this world better. And we can make it brighter for all eternity. Amen. Let's bow our heads for prayer. Every head bowed and every eye closed. Let me just say this. You cannot be salt or light 